Before we start the podcast, Dale wanted everyone to know that all of the opinions that he says in the podcast are his own personal opinions and do not represent uh, his firm's views and opinions. On today's podcast, I'm chatting with Dale. He hiked half the Appalachian Trail. Before Dale was solving for privacy harm, he worked for a summer on an oyster farm. So uh, with that, I am happy to introduce Dale Rapineau. He's the Associate Data Privacy Attorney at uh, Metaverse Law. And welcome to the podcast, Dale. Thank you, Noah. Very happy to be here. It's an honor. All right, let's get into it. So uh, you were born in Rhode Island. You grew up in Rhode Island. And uh, talk about that growing up. And uh, in high school, I think you were you worked as a uh, pharmacy tech. So get into uh, you know your childhood growing up in Rhode Island. Sure. So I grew up in Pawtucket, Rhode Island. It's a small little town. You might know it from Family Guy. It's where Family Guy takes place. Um, I went to a elementary school called St. Mary's. It's a very large old brick building um, right next to a coffee factory. And every day the coffee factory would, you know, roast beans and then release all this terrible burnt coffee smell that would waft into the classrooms it was like noxious but um yeah so I went there from like k to eighth grade and then I went to LaSalle Academy which is in Providence um at that point I was on the track of going to college and we'll get into it in a minute but uh I didn't really know if I wanted to go to college which is sort of like you're expected right Parents are investing a lot of money into this, uh, supposed to do it. But I didn't really know what I wanted to do as as a teenager. I just sort of played a lot of video games. I was really big into World of Warcraft when it came out. Uh, I was, I like to tout that I was uh, third best warlock on my server when I was playing World of Warcraft. So I was like very into it. Um, but yeah, so uh, I graduated in 2006 from high school and uh at that point i could already feel that i i probably needed to get out of rhode island and leave you know i i didn't really do all that much in rhode island it was just sort of a very small state my worldview was very small and i could tell that um change was on the horizon yeah interesting so talk about uh, that first job a little bit working at uh, you know the pharmacy there oh sure yeah so my mom is an uh, a nurse and she always wanted me to go into a medical career uh so to help me sort of start that process she reached out to some of her connections and got me a job as a pharmacy technician uh when i was oof must have been 16 or 17 um i remember being in high school and uh, I had to get certified. You know, I had to be licensed uh, with the the board. I actually had to like disclose that when I eventually uh, was trying to get barred with California, admitted to practice in California. And um, it was a fun job. It was really, really interesting because no one goes to a pharmacy because they want to, right? Like it's a place you go because you're tr- you're in need of something. Uh, so most of the people going were in a rush. They just got out of the hospital. 
they're trying to fill meds. It's an annoying chore that they're trying to do. So I learned a lot of empathy of how to speak to people when they're in these vulnerable states and try to make this small little moment at the cashier just a little bit better for them. Um, but most of the time, the job was just like counting pills and making sure that the I'm filling the right medication properly. Um, so I got very good at counting pills, which is... I don't know if that's a good skill, but <laughs> yeah, interesting skill there. And um, uh, so, so you know, like you said, your mom wanted you to go into something in the medical field, but you weren't so into that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I have uh, I have a an intense phobia of blood draw and needles in general, and I discovered it when I was at the pharmacy, uh, just any, you know, like any, even in a movie, like if there's blood draw or if there's like sort of medical procedures going on, I just start passing out. I, so I was like, I don't think medical is for me. Like, this is not, I can't go into a medical field if I'm just passing out all the time and having like these intense panic attacks. So, uh, yeah, that didn't work out. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. So you stayed, you, you at least started out in college in Rhode Island. So talk about uh, at least that, that year of college that you spent at uh, Rhode Island College. Yeah, so after graduating in high school in 2006, um, my parents were like, okay, well, we expect you to go to college somewhere. So why don't you just stay local, do some general academic nonsense. So I went to Rhode Island College. And I'll be honest, I do not really remember what I studied there, or even my experience there, it was just sort of this haze of, okay, I'm going through the motions, I'm taking classes, I, I probably was taking like psychology and sociology at the point. And uh, that only further solidified what I was desperately looking for was not academic experience, but real world experience. I, what I was looking for wasn't found in a textbook or in a classroom. I needed something else. And I just didn't know what it was, but I, I just needed to explore the world a little bit. So I was only there for a year um, and then left. I went to Arizona and went to a small school called the University, University of Advancing Technology. And it's much more like a nerd-based uh, school studying like programming, video game design, game design, so forth. Uh, but for me, it was just a means to an end of getting out of Rhode Island and seeing something, you know, not international, but just a different culture, just different, a change of scenery for me. Mm -hmm. Now, I know you spend a lot of time, you know, in, in, in the tech world nowadays. Is this sort of where you were introduced to that uh, at, at, uh, in, in Arizona? I think, yeah, I mean, I've always, as I said before, like, I was really into World of Warcraft, which is to say I was really into computers. I built my own computer when I was very young. I would, uh, I played a lot of video games, just like really into hardware and software. So mm -hmm. going to UAT was just building off of that a little bit and being around individuals like a community who also was just very focused on the hardware, software, programming side. Um so at this point, I wasn't even thinking law, never. That doesn't come up until like a decade later. But yeah, it was just sort of uh, being very interested in 
nerd culture and tech and wanting to explore that for a bit. Mm -hmm. Now, ultimately, that didn't uh, work out in Arizona. So no. I'm going to get into that a little bit and, and you know, talk about um, what you decided to do afterwards. Sure. So um, my now wife, she dropped out uh, of UAT. I met her there, um, Katie Okolita. She dropped out the semester before I did. And uh, it had seeing her uh, leave UAT and she went on to work as a web design and developer. Uh, I was like, maybe I maybe I should just work for a bit. Maybe I should also stop going to school because, again, what I was looking for wasn't academia. It was real world experience. So after a year and a half at UAT, I dropped out and uh, I didn't really know what I was going to do. At that moment, I didn't really have uh, a safety net or a plan, but I knew that I was starting to really enjoy writing. I had a blog. This was like early blogger era. I had people that were following uh, and I was just writing nonsense, but I started realizing like, I like just sitting down and, and tinkering with words and really putting thoughts to paper. So I started looking for writing jobs and at that time, I just went on Craigslist and found any random writing job that I could find. If it was a one-off gig for like SEO copywriting, if it was like ghostwriting for some marketing firm, anything, uh, anything that would help me start building a resume so that I could eventually find a full-time position and actually have enough to convince them, like, I want to be a writer, come hire me. Interesting. Now, you know, a shameless plug for uh, Dale's, blog nowadays is uh, his privacy and tech blog and you know so you were already back then did you ever think about you know that this would turn into something that you do uh, a lot now oh no I mean I think during that period I discovered that I am a writer I you know I embody it all the time doesn't matter what I'm doing whether it's law or not law I need to be writing so I knew I would be writing forever but I didn't know that it would eventually manifest into legal writing uh especially the Venn diagram of legal and tech that overlap never thought um but yeah I I think during that period after UAT I was in Arizona for like four years writing anything I started to realize for the first time in my life that I had found something that I really wanted to do so then it was just a matter of how to make it sustainable because writing is very hard if you are just sort of like finding gigs and just hopping from one job to the next. I was doing a lot of print writing. Print was dying. Um, yeah, so it was just a very, it was a lot of hustling, I would say, during that that period of my life, just trying to find the next paycheck to make sure that I could stay afloat. So at that time, uh, around that time, you moved back across the country but uh, to Massachusetts. So talk about you know that transition and was that still you were still really working as a uh, you know in, in, in as a copyright then right yep uh so awesome. i was working for this company that sold like workout supplements and stuff uh dietary supplements and i would write all of their copy for their products and you know marketing copy and so forth and they were like they were an arizona based company and i was like i'm moving back east my uh Katie and I wanted to go back east and be closer to our families after four years away. And they're like, yeah, just do it remotely. So 
I was able to take my work and work from the East Coast. And uh, it was fine work uh, writing that kind of stuff. But it's definitely, you know, I'm not a workout person. I'm a World of Warcraft person. And uh, it was hard to write for something that you don't care about just to just to make money. Um, so I started looking for local positions in the East that would allow me to go back to my roots, I think as like a pharmacy technician where I was, I had a lot of empathy and human connection there. So I found that by becoming a soft news journalist for some print magazines in the East where I was able to like interview people and do interesting pieces about people's lives and start moving from a copywriter more into like this state of journalism where you get to, you get human stories constantly. And it was very enriching. Uh, I really enjoyed that position. Interesting. I'm not so familiar with what exactly is uh, soft news for those of us that don't know. Yeah, so uh, hard news is like your traditional newspapers, you know, New York Times, uh, stuff like that. Soft news is more like food, art, events. Um, it's, okay. you know, it's not going to be like the political scandals. It's going to be more like uh, this glass blower in town opened up a new shop and it's a human's piece on their art. Uh, so that, that has always been the, for me, the difference between like a soft and hard news. Right. Right. Interesting. And you'd actually go and interview them and, and talk with them. And like you said, have some of that like empathy, uh, you know, connection. Mm -hmm. yeah, and, yeah. And they give you like, uh, they put their story in your hands and they trust you to do it, uh, justice, which well. I think is a big responsibility for anyone to to take on that role and it's something that i think even as lawyers uh we have that responsibility too mm -hmm, absolutely now you decided uh in 2013 to hike the appalachian trail so talk about uh you know that little adventure uh then yeah uh so again it starts with writing jobs uh one of my jobs i think at this point the supplement company had sort of shut down and I had started working for a Halloween product company and I was again doing their copywriting. And um, this was sort of during the stage of transitioning to become a journalist. So I was freelancing on the side for journalism, but I was my main gig was the Halloween store and uh, they had a bad Halloween. Products didn't sell. They needed to cut uh, employees. So they cut me. Um, I was their only writer and they were like, look, we don't, we don't need more copywriting because products aren't selling. So I went home and I went to Katie and I remember standing in the doorway of our home office. And, and I had to tell her that, you know, again, another one of my jobs had, had failed and I needed to go back on the market and find the next role, but I didn't want to, I was like, I'm so right. tired. I've been doing this for like, you know, half a decade at this point, sort of hustling and trying to find the next job. And they would only last for a little bit and then they would get like cut. So I decided I'm not doing it. I'm not going back in the rat race. I was like, I need something else. She had always wanted to hike the Appalachian Trail and I had never done overnight hiking and never owned, like I don't own it. At that point, I didn't own any hiking gear. Wow. So I just asked her, I was like, that dream you've always had. What if we actually did it? What if we did the research, 
you built a website. I wrote about it the whole time and we made this experience and it became a project. And what if we did it? And she was all on board. She was like, let's do it. So uh, in 2013, March 12th, 2013, we took our first step on the Appalachian Trail and we spent three months hiking and I would write on my little cell phone at night and then upload it to our uh, WordPress blog whenever we got into town with the internet and keep all our friends and family informed as to what we were doing. Um, yeah, and it was just a really, it was a very good experience for someone in their like young 20s, mid 20s, I think at that point. Um, it was wow. just so-, so that, that was the first time ever you did any, you know, overnight backpacking was uh, half the Appalachian Trail. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you just do enough research and you could do it. There you go. All right. Um, that's great. So then I guess, uh, you know, after that, uh, at, after that hike, you were ready to go back in the rat race then. So you moved to Maine and uh, talk about that. Yep. So we moved to Maine early 2014. I think it was like January, February, dead of winter, Maine. Highly do not recommend moving to Maine in the dead of winter. Uh, but I moved up and then I've uh, landed an associate editor position with a local magazine, print magazine. And um, once again, did art, journalism, news, um, events, really tried to like build it from, it was a very small publication that we tried to build and build and build. And eventually was uh, purchased by Down East Magazine, um, which is a regional, large local publication. But in classic, you know, print form and maybe just my bad luck uh after a year and a half it didn't work out and the whole magazine just started slowly shutting down shutting down and now it's it's no longer existent but during that shutdown period you know positions were being cut role money was tight and i could see the writing on the wall because i had done it enough so uh, i was like here i am again i'm back at this point and at that point it just felt like the cycle was inevitable it was find a position really enjoy it throw yourself into it and then eventually it gets shut down and i was like something's got to give i need it to, right. to reassess what is going on here that i can change about myself to make this not happen again yeah all right so what was that then well so uh that was going back to college that was at the age of 27 uh i decided so that i was gonna to that, you were um you were working for your wife's web design company or oh sure yeah so from as that as the magazine started shutting down uh i could see the writing on the wall and i decided that i was going to start supporting katie she had started a web design and development firm and it was doing really well so I decided that I was going to play the support pillar and see what I could learn to help support her business and have it grow. So I started, you know, learning how to build websites, uh, started doing all the accounting, learning QuickBooks, um, doing like the taxes and doing the copywriting and meeting with clients and selling them on our, our websites. Um, but it wasn't something that I did full time. It was more of a like half to three fourths position um that I could support whenever I had time but that was 
vital, I think, for eventually landing my current position. During that time, working in a web design and development firm and actually, you know, being a little bit of a dev, understanding data flows, API integrations, so forth, uh, crucial. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Now, you went to college and before you were talking about, you know, you, you didn't like the classroom, you wanted to be out there in the real world. So I guess what changed? Um, I think I had, you know, I had done enough real world experience at that point that I, I was a little bit like, the real world sucks. Like I, it's hard. It is, it's very difficult being out here. Uh, and I needed to give myself a leg up. And I felt like that leg up was I needed a college experience. You know, I needed a degree, at least a bachelor's. I told myself I, I should go for a master's, just why not? Um, so I decided to to go back to college. And my goal at that point when I when I started day one was a master's of fine arts. I was like, I want an MFA. That's what I'm going to do. My goal from 27 to like 34, master of fine arts. That's what I'm doing. Obviously, that didn't happen. So, yeah, we'll get to it. But I started with just uh, doing a community college. Uh, started community college. Highly recommend if anyone's looking to go back to school as a older individual, start with community college. Go cheap. Try and like you know keep your expenses down. Um, and then I went to a in-state uh, four-year college for my bachelor's. I was able to transfer there and get a bunch of scholarships because I had done an in-state um, community college. And as I was finishing my bachelor's of arts, specializing in poetry, I was about to turn 30 and I had a crisis because I realized that an MFA wouldn't solve my money problems. And I would probably be a starving artist after I graduated with an MFA. So I, got, I started panicking. And uh, that's when I took one of those online quizzes. Like, what should I be when I grow up? It was basically like a BuzzFeed. Uh, and I sat down and I was like, dear internet what should I be when I grow up? And it like asked me like, what's your favorite Power Ranger and all this stuff? Like which Harry Potter character are you? And it was like really fun. And then at the end of it, uh, it spat back lawyer. And I was like, no, shut up. No, no, no. There's no way that I'm a lawyer. Like, nope. And uh, that idea just sort of like wheedled into my head and I couldn't stop thinking about it. Wow. Yeah, I love that story. <laughs> That's fascinating. BuzzFeed, BuzzFeed quiz got you to be a lawyer. Um, <laughs> yeah, interesting. Now, yeah, before we get to that, I just wanted to say, you know, we've had some other guests on this podcast that have, are privacy lawyers now that went to uh, community college. So definitely, uh, you know, a viable option for, for folks thinking about it. And um, so then, all right, so after that BuzzFeed quiz, how soon was it that you decided to, to take the LSAT and, and go to law school? Hmm. Probably pretty quickly, if if I'm being honest. Um, I remember getting the results from this quiz and then being obsessed with the idea for like a week and then finally presenting it to Katie. And I remember we were driving on these like back road main rural areas and uh, I was telling her like, you know, I've been really thinking about my next steps and my career and my, my academia. 
um, and I'm reassessing whether or not I should go for an MFA. And I started listening my skills and what I thought I was good at. You know, I was like, I, I think I speak well. I've read poetry in front of people. I like writing. And I'm really thinking about changing my career path. And she, no joke, responds, okay, yeah, but like, what are you going to be a lawyer? And <laughs> I, it was one of those like record scratch moments. And uh, I was like, well, you yeah, know, I think I'm going to be a lawyer. So she was like fully supportive. She was like, all right, let's do it. So I went online and uh, Khan Academy has a free LSAT test uh, course. So I just went online and signed up for this LSAT course through Khan Academy. And I spent, you know, I don't know, two or three months going through their free resources and then took the LSAT. And uh, I, I, I kept telling myself, I'm only going to take the next step, though, and see what it is, see what the result is. Like, I'm I, at that point when I was doing this, the LSAT studying, I wasn't fully convinced I was actually going to law school. I just told myself, let's see, you know, let's see what you get on the LSAT. And then once I got it, I got the results. It was like, let's see if you get into law school. And then I get into law school and I was like, let's see if I get a scholarship. Mm -hmm. It was just one one yeah. step at a time. Yeah, I actually uh, had a similar similar kind of experience thinking about going to law school myself. Um, now, so you ended up going to Maine, which is I think where you were living at the time. Were you already thinking about privacy at that point? You know, Maine is definitely very well known for its privacy uh, privacy law. So was that already a vision of yours when you decided to <laughs> to, to pick Maine? uh no in i feel like classic me fashion i had no idea about uh maine's privacy program i just i knew it was close uh i knew that they had given me uh, a full scholarship so i felt like the risk was low like the financial risk was low and um i had no idea what i wanted to do as a lawyer or be i just again was like let's just take the first step let's see how this first year of law school goes and mm -hmm. it wasn't until Maine Law has a summer privacy institute that they run after the in the summer. So if you want to pursue the program, you're highly encouraged to attend the Maine, the, the summer privacy institute after your first year. And I had a friend, I remember sitting in class and he was telling me about this. And I was like, oh, I had, no, had no idea. I'm sort of like a reclusive individual. I had no idea that this was happening. And he was like, we should sign up because Maine Law is like really known for its privacy program. And I was like, ah, I don't know. I don't know. Sounds a little boring. I don't know if I want to do it. But he convinced me. And I took that summer privacy institute, which is like three weeks of intense courses. And by the end of it, I was absolutely hooked. Wow. What was the uh, what was the hook? I think it was the realization that it was a mixture of everything I love about tech, you know, the intricate conversations about emerging technology, the impacts of technology, both personally and on business and geopolitical, that mixed with the puzzle aspect of law, which I was really beginning to love the, how do we, how do you figure out how do the facts fit into the law? And it was just a really, really fascinating exploration of what I felt to be my people, you know, 
like I, I found my community for the first time as like a, as a lawyer after doing a year, my one L I felt a little lost and just adrift. Um, and then that, that summer privacy Institute, I was like, okay, I can actually have really in-depth conversations with these people about technology who care, um, about technology. And I actually understand it because I had this experience with web design and development. I've, you know, love computers. I love building my own computers. I love exploring the internet. So, yeah. So was it that experience then that you kind of scrapped the whole, you know, one step at a time and you were, you were all in? Uh, yeah, that's actually a good point. I think so. I think that was the point that I felt like the gauntlets were off and I was in, I was sold. I became obsessed with this track, this legal track. I started signing up for every tech adjacent or tech specific course that I could. I went gung ho on the privacy certificate program that the school has uh, every internship that I started uh, applying to had to have some kind of privacy or data related aspects to it because I, I just was hungry at that point I wanted more yeah yeah interesting now around that time um I think the uh you know the pandemic hit and and everything kind of shut down so talk about that you, you talk a little bit about how really that expanded actually a lot of opportunities for you. Yeah. I mean, in a way, the silver lining of COVID-19 for me was that barriers of proximity, like physical proximity to jobs, those barriers just melted away. And all of a sudden, you know, someone way up in Maine had access to New York City, Texas, California positions that didn't require the financial capital to actually go and live and be there. You know, I have two horses, two dogs. It just wasn't feasible to uproot my life at that point at the age of like 32, 33 and go live in New York City for a summer. I just, it wasn't feasible. So by doing, by having the pandemic create this rich online environment, it gave me access to positions that I felt like I wouldn't have been able to get otherwise. Yeah, interesting. Um, same for me. I definitely interned at a lot of places that I probably wouldn't have moved to, uh, you know, if it wasn't for the fact that they were online. So now let's get into some of those. So you, uh, your first internship was with, uh, with, was with Match Group or IAPP, get, get into some of those uh, first work experiences in the in the privacy world. Yeah, so I think that the first uh, experience that I had was Match Group. Um, it was January of 2021, I believe I started. And uh, I got the position because one of the alumni of Maine Law was working in the privacy department at Match Group and reached out to the school and asked the school to sort of, you know, put forward one candidate, like, or, or some candidates, like who would be a good one. So I applied and, um, I mean, somehow I landed it and um, I was able to work alongside these absolutely brilliant lawyers who make sure that companies like uh, Tinder and uh, Match.com are abiding by international regulation that oversees data. And it was incredible to see 
just how fast paced, how intense the work is. Um, and I was, again, enamored with it. Wow. Yeah, interesting. Now, that was some in-house experience. The rest of your internships were more on the IAPP, Future Privacy Forum, sort of more the think tank uh, front. So talk about those experiences. Um, yeah, so the my I spent the summer uh, with the IAPP, and it was a mixture between um, a little bit of in-house and a little bit of research. So sort of split between two of the departments. Uh, I would do research on um, particular cases. It was specifically like the CCPA's private right of action. I did a lot of research on um, the cases that were being brought forward and the complaints uh, and the how people were defending uh, complaints specifically. And then I would also assist with Rita Himes, uh, who's the general counsel of IPP. I would help her do some internal analysis of the IPP's own uh compliance with these regulations, which was really fun to see, because uh, obviously they're at the forefront of all of this, so they need to make sure that they're very compliant. Interesting. And then what about uh, Future Privacy Forum? Uh, yeah. And then I was at the Future Privacy Forum, uh, where I worked with some brilliant individuals doing analysis on uh, open banking. Um, they allowed me to do a lot of research on uh, crypto and NFTs, because at that time, uh, NFTs specifically were sort of a hot topic and uh, I was fascinated by them just from a privacy perspective and um, they totally allowed me to just run with my research. They were like, go, oh, yeah, they supported my curiosity, which I was really happy to see that there are companies out there um, that want curious individuals because working as a data privacy lawyer, I feel like you need to be curious things are changing rapidly and you need to stay willing to adapt almost on like a day-to-day -day basis. Right. So yeah, they allowed me insight. to do that. Now, I think you also worked at uh, Thomson Reuters for their practical law and you wrote something on, uh, you know, biometrics and BIPA. So get into, get into that. It's definitely relevant today still. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I also, I did a summer with uh, Thomson Reuters working in their practical law department and seeing how diligent they are in producing really, really useful resources for uh, anyone that wants to work in this space. The practical law resources, highly recommend. Um, but yeah, they, they had a bunch of different projects that were ongoing that they had me hop into, like uh, BIPA, obviously, uh, was something of concern. Uh, still is as cases are developing and they just uh, they had me do a ton of research on cases that were working their way through the system trying to sort of understand how do you provide guidance to lawyers when these really crucial cases are still being decided um, and then also I did research on FTC enforcement actions specifically on security standards and how those minimum security standards have been increasing over the years. Um, so it was just really cool to see like technology and uh, how the law responds to it and how hard it is for the law to really capture what these emerging technologies are doing and how to regulate them. I think that's what it, that position taught me is just like it changes so often that it's hard to put things down on paper. It feels like it's written on water. Like as soon as you get it down, it's just, it ripples and it's gone. 
Yeah, yeah, very true. Now, uh, when you were in law school, you were also on the uh, on the moot court. So talk about that. Uh, yep. So the uh, Helsinki Informa Information Law uh, Moot Court Competition is a annual competition um, that operates out of uh, Helsinki. And um, typically, you have to be local uh, or at least able to get there to, to compete. But again, because the pandemic had opened everything up online, when I was at Maine Law, it was the first year that Maine Law could actually compete uh, because everything was digital. So uh, we threw together a team of four Maine Law students and we threw our hat into the ring and decided to compete. We got a problem involving a fake EU member nation that created a COVID-19 tracking application that would vacuum up all this data from people um, under the alleged guise of wanting to make sure that people were staying safe during the pandemic. Um, two of our members would have to defend the legality of it. Two of our members would have to say that, you know, this is an illegal action by this member nation. And it was a lot of analysis under uh, various articles of the GDPR. Wow, yeah, sounds a great experience. Now, getting to uh, your job now, so um, you now work at uh, Metaverse Law. So talk about you know that experience, finding a job and uh, and landing it in uh, you know after graduation, which I think you've been there now about almost a year, right? So uh, get into I guess the experience of finding it and why you chose it, and then um, you know what you do nowadays. Yeah, so I had been. Uh, searching for a very particular job. I was trying to be very picky and choosy as to what I wanted to find. I wanted something that would allow me to be still remote. Uh, and I wanted something that was um, directly involved with data regulation and privacy, not something that was sort of adjacent to that, but directly involved. So I was applying to uh, a handful of different places and Metaverse Law's opening position uh, popped up in my like, LinkedIn or Indeed feed. And I saw it and I was like, man, you know, it, it tells you how many people have already applied. It was like 164 within like minutes or something. And I was like, all right, well, I'm not getting that. I was like, I'm not even going to apply it, apply to it. And then Katie sent me the position and she was like, you should apply. And I was like, no, no, didn't you see like so many people have applied. And then uh, my mentor from Match Group uh, sent me it and she's like you got to apply and I was like oh, okay all right fine I'll, I'll apply to this so Katie and I uh, we sat down and we designed a really nice resume and uh, really like threw ourselves into it and sent it in and oddly metaverse law said the thing that really attracted them uh, was I had this one line I had like at the front of my resume created sort of like a, a summary of like points about me and like one of the bullet points was um fascinated by crypto not a crypto bro like just really want to put it out there like i like this emerging technology and the implications of it but i do not buy into it and they loved it like they wanted someone who was like could sort of see technology from an objective point of view and be fascinated by it and follow it without necessarily falling into the the trap of being enamored with it um yeah, yeah so they we, they interviewed uh, and then they sent me an offer and I have been there, uh, I think, yeah, it's about like eight or nine months now. Um, I had to, in order to practice there, uh, pass the California bar, which was an experience unto itself because I studied Maine law. 
so I had to do that, fly out there, take the bar, and I got admitted. And uh, yeah, now I've been working as a data privacy lawyer for since November uh, of last year. So, um, yeah, so get into that. Now, what what, uh, what have you been up to there for the last eight months? Yeah, so um, what we've been doing is that we've been really assisting clients with, uh, a lot of our clients are businesses that are concerned with, you know, the CPRA has come into effect. The regs are allegedly finalized. Uh, we'll see what happens there. But um, a lot of our clients are still trying to catch up on understanding how the CPRA has modified the CCPA, what they need to do. And now that the regs are coming out, what then must they do in order to adopt to this? And the regulations aren't necessarily um, clear uh, in what it means to comply. And I don't, I think it's just caused more confusion. So it's, we're working in a gray area a little bit right now. And it's just being uh, really clear with our clients that we are still waiting for developments to, to happen uh, from the legislative side. But, you know, we help clients from all over the world. They're East Coast, West Coast, EU. Uh, we work with HIPAA, uh, GDPR, um, TCPA, really anything that uh, touches the online environment um, where they are trying to make sure that people are complying and they're avoiding uh, any regulatory issues. Yeah, interesting. Now let's get into a little bit of, uh, you know, your blog and I know you still do a lot of writing. Um, so talk about that, I guess, you know, how you've been able to keep some of your past interests in, uh, you know, your current job. Yeah. So um, these days, uh, my now wife, Katie, she works for a venture capital firm in uh, Boston. Uh, so she is constantly being exposed to new startups that are um, experimenting with technology and so forth. So we just have conversations all the time at home about, oh, this business wants to do this with data or, oh, they want to integrate AI in this way. So I'm constantly just like, what? What are they doing? I need to research this. I need to figure this out just in my personal capacity, not necessarily in my legal capacity, but I just like, I want to know about that. I want to, I want to dive into that. Uh, so then I, I started creating all this writing just personally. And I was like, it's not legal writing. It's not something that I want to attach to the, to the law firm. Where can I put this out there? So I just started a Substack and started writing about these just interesting events in the tech world uh like for example how i learned about the fact that i passed the california bar by a data leak there was a data leak at the california bar and that's how i figured out most people figured out that they had passed the bar one day before the results actually were supposed to be public so it's like things like that like just these interesting anecdotal little stories involving tech yeah, that's fascinating i love that article myself so um uh... Yeah. Now, uh, looking to the future. So, um, you know, you talk a little bit about maybe you want to go back and get your, your, um, your master's in, uh, in, in fine arts and, um, you know, talk about, uh, you know, what, what your plans are uh, in the future. Yeah, I think it's a little difficult for me to talk about this because 
as I think my story shows, I wasn't really, I feel like law was a surprise for me. Being a lawyer is a surprise. And I've only really been a lawyer now for eight months. So I'm still not sure what the future holds. You know, I know a lot of my classmates, they they dream of being partner or they dream of opening their own law firm. For me, my I think my dreams are smaller right now. They're quieter and they're de they're developing. Um, I'm just trying to take it one month at a time and really follow my curiosity and sort of foster that. So I'm not really sure on the law side what I'm dreaming of. I know that I would definitely want to still go back to school and get an MFA at some point. I still write poetry on, on the daily. Um, I'm working on a chapbook that I would like to put out at some point. Who knows? But yeah, I mean, I think for me, writing will always be part of my life. And we'll see how that uh, manifests in my legal careers in the future. But I'll always be writing. Yeah, that's great. Um, now, what, uh, you know, people thinking about your your career path and, and what you've done, what are some things that you've done or experiences you've had or connections you've made that you felt that, uh, you know, really propelled you to get to where you are now? I think networking is you know i think it's like sort of cliche to talk about but i definitely think networking is one of the most powerful things because it's a human to human connection that you can develop with someone who's maybe a little bit more experienced for me um when i went to match group and i worked underneath uh emily kramer she's incredible and she was the main law alum and she sort of became this version of myself that I could see in the future seeing how she is she had graduated ahead of me she had more experience she was still thriving still very excited she wasn't burnt out by a legal career which is something that I'm you know I think most lawyers are concerned about seeing that and connecting with her was vital and then she encouraged me to network and sort of expand and talk to more lawyers and you know go to the IPPs conferences and so forth but I definitely think forming connections in this and, and and discover people that you would like to be, ver, you know, versions of yourself that you would like to be in the future, I think is something that is very useful. Um, yeah. And I think, yeah. And I think writing, you know, I, if you're not, if you're not writing all the time, um, I don't know. I think you're doing yourself a disservice. R lawyers, I am surprised to discover. I was surprised when I turned 30 to discover this, but lawyers are writing all the time. It is a lot of writing. It is a lot of editing. You really want to make sure that your work is sharp and that you have a you know killer editorial eye. So brush up on writing, different writing styles too. Don't just stay in subjective or, or yeah, subjective or objective, like venture into creative work. See what you could learn there. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And uh, also, you know, it just seems like from what you're that you have so many other interests and curiosities, you know, in in, um, in, in your in your blog and, um, you know, staying staying curious and interested in, in all the different developments happening. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, stay curious. You know, you don't want to become a Luddite. You really want to just, you know, if something comes along. Even NFTs, I know people had really strong opinions about them, uh, but one of your clients might come along 
want to do something with NFTs and they need a lawyer to guide them and you don't want to come at it with a strong opinion of, well, you know what? You really shouldn't be doing this at all. They want a lawyer that's on their side. So, yeah. Yeah, great advice. Um, so with that, I'll uh, read the poem and then uh, we'll we'll wrap it up. So on today's podcast, I chatted with Dale. He hiked half the Appalachian Trail. Before Dale was involved, before Dale was solving for privacy harm, he worked for a summer on an oyster farm. So uh, with that, Dale, thanks so much for joining the podcast. Hey, thank you, Noah. It was a pleasure.